But if you would go ahead and turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. This morning we're going to be talking about these earthen vessels that we are and, and about living a life worth living. And so we'll go ahead and read this passage here, which just forewarned you that we're going to read this passage and then we're not going to get back to it for quite some time. But we're going to start here because this is really where, where everything's rooted in this morning. But we'll go ahead and read through this passage and then we'll pray and then we'll jump right in. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then, death is working in us, but life in you. Heavenly Father, we come before you once again this morning, and we do thank you for the gift of eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But we also thank you that, that there's so much more than just that. We thank you that you continue to move in us day by day, that you continue to stir us up to love and to good works, and that you desire for us to have a, a fulfilled life here on this earth, that we would be able to impact others, that we would be used for your glory and for your honor for the furtherance of your kingdom. And, and so this morning we pray that you would continue to prepare our hearts for this, that you would open our hearts to everything that you desire to speak and to teach. Lord, I pray that you would give me your words to speak and not my own, and, and that only the things that are from you would be the things that are held on to this morning. And so we give you this time and all that we are, and we ask and pray all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So this morning... As I mentioned, we're going to talk about living a life worth living, and there's so much that goes into it, but this morning, what we're really going to be talking about is first being the salt and the light, and then about how to be this light without getting in the way, and then what does that mean? What does that look like to the rest of the world? And we've studied before about who God is, and we definitely know who we are. We know that, that we are definitely not worthy of anything that God has given to us, but we're extremely blessed. And so we know, as we studied last week, and we've, we've studied many times before, who God is. Not just who the world says that he is, not just who people think he is, but if you are a child of God here in this place this morning, you know intimately who God is. You know him. And so what is it that we are to be doing as we are becoming more like him, because that's the goal, that's the desire, what are we doing about that? How is that changing our lives? How is that impacting those around us? And we talk about the darkness of this age. We talk about Jesus coming soon. We talk about all of the people that need Jesus. All of the people that need Jesus. And we talk about the beauty of having a relationship with him and how this, this relationship frees us both from the bondage of sin and death, but it also frees us from the burden of religion. But where does that leave us? Sometimes we get complacent and we get to a, a, a situation or an area or a season in our lives where we feel as if we've been freed from the bondage of sin and death, 
But now we've been also freed from religion. We've been given this liberty in Christ. So that means that, that we can just sit and we sit idly by. And I would suggest to you that that's not living a life that is fulfilled or a, a life worth living. What it actually leaves us with is earthen vessels that are getting in the way. Instead, we are supposed to be broken, to be strained, to be crushed, to be challenged in so many different ways so that we can be purified, so that we can be sanctified, and in that we can be used to shine this glory of God, to shine this light. And doing this, being this light in the world, is both in word and in deed. And so that gets us to the first section in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13, where Jesus is speaking and he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing. And I think that, that that's a very, very powerful reminder for us because that's what we're called to be. We are called to be the salt of the earth. And as I was listening to a Bible study this week, talking about this very particular passage, the pastor was sharing that to be a salt that flavors the earth, we have to be distinct. We have to have a different flavor, a different aroma, a different fragrance, a different light than anything else that the world would see. We have to be different. We have to look different. We have to act different. It doesn't mean that we do these things just for the sake of being different. We do these things for the sake of being more like Jesus. And as we spend that time, that quality time with Jesus, it allows us to take on that flavor, the flavor of Jesus Christ. And it is that flavor that we take out to the world. And it's that flavor that we are trying to impact others with. It's not to be about us. It's never to be about us. It always has to be about Jesus. And so I would suggest to you that living a fulfilled life requires us to take on the flavor, if you will, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, you are the salt of the earth, but if it loses its flavor, if it becomes overwhelmed by the things of the world, if it becomes too much like the things of the world, so that there's no distinguishing between our flavor and the flavor of the world, then what does it say? It says it's good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. And he's not talking to the world here. He's talking to the body of Christ. He's talking to the church when he says that it is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If we lose that flavor, we are good for nothing. In John chapter 15, verses 1 through 6, we've studied this recently. Jesus is speaking again, and he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Again, he's speaking to us. He's speaking to the children of God. He's saying that you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. But then he goes on to remind us of the things that he just spoke. Because in verse 4 he says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. The only way for us to take on this flavor, the only way for us to have the light that we're about to talk about, the only way for us to bring forth this fruit from the good works is to abide in the vine, is to abide in Jesus. 
And he says in verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. It's not just a little bit, but it's much fruit. There is so much that God desires to do, and we get focused sometimes too much on what God wants to do in us, and we lose sight of what God wants to do through us. Because God desires for it to be both of those things, to really, really live a life that is fulfilled, a life that is worth living as a Christian, as a child of God. It's not enough for us to just take it all in. We have to be giving it out. All the things that God is speaking to our hearts, all the things that God is teaching us, all the ways that he is moving in us to change us, to be more like him, are the same things that we are supposed to be taking to those around us. And so he says, if you abide in me, then I will abide in you and you will bear much fruit. But he says, for without me, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. And in verse six, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So they're good for nothing. It's the same thing as the salt. If the salt loses its flavor, it's good for nothing and has to be thrown out. If you're not abiding in Christ, your life is good for nothing. We're not talking about salvation. We're not talking about whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus. We're talking about whether this relationship is now alive and whether this relationship is now allowing you to be used in other people's lives. So to abide, to love, to spend time with, to learn more about, to know Jesus deeply, that should be something that we desire all the time. And our greatest achievement in this life should be knowing Jesus. And as we get closer to him, it becomes more clear to us how important this is. In Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 through 24, it says, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that he knows me deeply, he knows me intimately, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth, for in these I delight, says the Lord. And I, I think that this sometimes gets lost, but God is not saying avoid all of these things. He's not saying avoid wisdom or avoid might or avoid riches. That's not what he's saying here at all. What he's saying here is your glory cannot be found in that. That should not be the thing that you point to when someone says, you know, what does your life, what's your legacy? What, how are you fulfilled in this life? We shouldn't be pointing to our wisdom, to our, our might, to our riches. We should be pointing to our relationship with Jesus Christ. When someone says, you know, what, what is the, the greatest thing that has ever happened to you in your life? It has to be Jesus. And if it's not, if you honestly can't say that it is Jesus, then there's a problem there. And this is what we're talking about. That in order to do this thing right, in order to live a life worth living, in order to impact those around us, we have to glory in the relationship that we have with Jesus. Not to be puffed up about it, not to say that, that our relationship is better than anybody else's with Jesus, but just to be able to stay settled in that, to abide in that relationship, to be focused on that relationship, and then to allow God to provide the wisdom, the might, the riches, and whatever else he desires to give to us. Because it's not for us to decide what gifts and what blessings are bestowed upon us. It's for him to decide. In his perfect, infinite wisdom, he has decided exactly what each one of us should get. And it didn't just 
end there. He decided what we should get so that we could accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish through our lives. And we need to recognize that. We, we really, really need to take stock of that. We need to see that we have a purpose. You know, we talk about this whole life, and, and I truly believe this, that this whole life boils down to one choice, one decision, one question. Will you give your life to Jesus Christ or not? That that's what this whole life boils down to for everyone. It is a question of life or death. For all of eternity. For life or death. You know, do you want to have a relationship with God, or do you want to be separated from God for all of eternity? And so this whole life boils down to that one question, but for those of us that have made the right choice in that this morning, there's so much more that Jesus wants to give to us, that he wants to do in us so that he can do through us so that we can live a fulfilled life. Certainly there are people that will on their deathbed come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and it doesn't mean that because they didn't do all of these things that they're not going to get into heaven. It's not what we're talking about. But if you already have made that decision, if you've already committed your life to him, now what is, what's happening? What's the natural byproduct of a life that is given over to Jesus Christ as it's lived out here on the earth? It's to be the salt. It's to be the light. It's to be different. And in verse 14, going back to Matthew chapter 5, he says, You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. And that's something that was very, very easy for them to understand. And, and for us, it's not too complicated. But it was very, very simple for them to see because at night, they didn't have electricity. But they had lamps. They had torches. And a city that was set on a hill in a pitch black area, you, it would stand out for miles. And so we recognize that. It, those of us that have driven outside of the city and come back at night, you can see as you're getting closer, you see the lights. I remember as a kid taking road trips with my parents and being close and thinking that I was so much closer than I was because I could see the lights of the city. And, and then it just never, I never understood how we could still be an hour away when I could see the lights. Because you can see everything from a distance. And that's what he's talking about here. That we are the light of the world. That you should be able to see this light even from a distance. Even not the people that are closest to you. Not that inner circle. Not the people that you spend the most time with. This light is a light that should be able to, to be shown. A city that is set on a hill. That we would be able to shine brightly even in the interactions that we have. Maybe one time with a person. And that's the only interaction that we ever have with them. There should be something different. There should be something in our lives that is different enough that people can see. In verse 15, he says, Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. And so we don't hide the light. It wouldn't make any sense to put a new light bulb in and then to cover it with a blanket. It doesn't make sense. And yet, sometimes I would suggest to you we do that very thing, that, that Jesus is making these changes within us. And for whatever reason, maybe we're embarrassed, maybe we just don't, don't feel like we have that kind of a personality, or, or maybe we just don't recognize it. But whatever it is, we hide that light. We don't want to talk about it, we don't want to show it, we don't want to live it. Honestly, we don't even appreciate it. And so we need to see that this light that we've been given, the light of the world who is Jesus Christ, we have a relationship with him. And if we say we have a relationship with him, then we need to be, 
building on that relationship, and a, one of the natural things that happens as we build upon that relationship is that that light shines out through our lives. And then in verse 16, he says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And I love that he describes salt and light, and he doesn't talk about sound. He doesn't talk about sound here. There's nothing audible in these descriptions. And it's not to say that we don't preach and teach with the things that come out of our mouths, but there's got to be more than just saying things. We have to be doing things. And so he says, let your light so shine before men so that they would be able to see it with their eyes, that they would be able to recognize something that they can visually see, not just something that they heard with their ears, but that they can visually see. Let your light so shine before men that they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. And this passage has been so meaningful for me, and it's something that I have to be reminded of constantly that others would see my good works and glorify not me, but glorify my Father in heaven. Glorify my Father in heaven. That we're not doing these good works so that other people will see us. We've talked many, many times before about the difference between your character and your reputation. Your character being the thing that, that is you when it's just you and God. And your reputation being what other people see. And there are so many times within the body of Christ, within the physical church especially that the character and the reputation don't always line up. That there are things that, that would be done when there are other people watching, that if nobody was there to see it, these things would go undone. Pastor Chuck used to talk about going through and, and picking up cigarette butts in the parking lot and picking up trash and that, that he, he could always tell when somebody was just doing it so that they could be seen because they would walk past something and then they would come back to it later and pick it up when there were enough people around to see it. So they, somebody could see the work that was being done. And it's not about that. It's not about being seen, but it's about doing these things. And when you are seen, that the glory goes to our Father in heaven. So it's not enough for us just to talk about doing things. But we have to be doing good things, and we have to be doing them for the right reason because of the goodness that Jesus is in our hearts, in our lives, because of the example that he has given to us, and we desire to follow that, to live that. So we need to be the people who follow that example. So what kind of things, then, should we be doing? In James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, as we begin to talk about moving now that we've talked about having this relationship, being the salt, what does that look like? In James chapter 2, verse 14, he says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Now, something that we need to be very, very clear about this morning is that we are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast, and it's nothing that we have done to earn it or deserve it. Okay, we, we need to be very, very clear about that, that it has been a gift from God. It is in his grace and his mercy that we are able to stand as children of God. So he's not talking about salvation here, but what he's talking about is being the salt and being the light unto the world. 
about how this relationship, this one-on-one intimacy that we have with Jesus Christ, how that now begins to influence and impact the people around us. So he says, what does it profit if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Yes, we are saved by faith, but is your faith going to save somebody else? Another way to ask that question, does God have grandchildren or stepchildren? No, God God just has sons and daughters. So it's an intimate, individual relationship between me and Jesus and between each one of you and Jesus Christ. So your faith, my faith, my relationship with Jesus is not going to save anybody else. But there is an opportunity that we are given to be able to be used to bring others into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And part of that involves doing things. It involves doing works. And then he goes through, he says, if someone is is in need and you just say, go be filled, be warned, but you don't do anything within your power to be able to help them do that, are you really living this life worth living? Are you really shining the light of Jesus Christ? Are you really being a salt unto the earth? He says, that's also faith by itself if it does not have works is dead. And then he continues on in verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And so in this first section here, he says in verse 18, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. There should be a representation of the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ in the way that we live our lives. It's very, very clear, very, very plain, very, very obvious. We are supposed to be changed. And we are still supposed to be at work. We're still supposed to be doing things, not because that's how we get closer to Jesus, but because as we get closer to Jesus, we should have a desire to be used to bring others to Jesus. So it's these works, they're not bringing us closer to Jesus, they're bringing others closer to Jesus because we are already getting closer to Jesus. But then he continues in verse 19 and he says, you believe there's one God, you do well, even the demons believe and tremble. Again, coming back to just sitting idly by as the world just goes to hell in a handbasket. He's saying that that you believe there's one God, that's great. That's great that, that you have this relationship. But do you not know that even the demons believe and tremble? There has to be more to it. If there's really a relationship, there has to be more to it than just a head knowledge that says, yes, God is who he says he is. But okay, what is that doing in my life? What kind of a change, what kind of a transformation, what kind of a renewing of my mind is taking place and what are the fruits What are the works that are being produced from my life? And then he says, but do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? And I I really, really, it, it just felt like something that God was pressing upon my heart so heavily last night as I was sharing, is that when Paul writes about the relationship that we have with Jesus and he compares it to a marriage relationship between two spouses, between a husband and a wife, 
when he compares it to that relationship, and then you start to think about what that looks like. And, and having been on this side of the desk, if you will, where people come in and they have different situations that are going on in their marriage relationship. They have different situations that, that sometimes have caused great division and great strife and oftentimes even led to divorce. And you come back to the center of it. And what many times has happened is that the relationship died and it was dying a slow death because there were no longer works being done one to another inside of that relationship. Because now it was no longer about what can I do for my spouse but what can my spouse do for me? That it was no longer about doing the things because of the love that you have for your spouse. That now it was coming up with the reasons and the excuses why you were now excused from having to do those things because of the things that your spouse had either done to you or had not done for you. And you start to look at that relationship and, and the, the foundation starts to crumble and, and then it becomes a dead relationship. And I would suggest to you that that is exactly what James is talking about here is that faith without works is dead. It is a dead relationship. If there is nothing happening and no, no outpouring from our lives into other people's lives, we have lost the flavor, we're no longer the salt, if we've been tossed out, if we are no longer the light that is set on a hill, if we are no longer a lit light, then it's a dead relationship. There is a deadness in our relationship with Jesus. And so we need to be aware of that. We need to, to look and to see what is it that God is trying to do in me so that he can do things through me. And if there are no things happening through my life, then I need to come back and to question, where is my relationship with Jesus Christ at? How strong or how weak is that relationship? And we do know that, that when we step out, you know, as Daniel was sharing before he brought up Pastor Albert, the, the enemy knows when good things are happening. The enemy knows when God is about to do a work. And he is going to do everything in his power to be able to prevent, to slow down, or to altogether stop the work from taking place. And so we know that as we step out, sometimes life is going to get harder. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 5 through 12, For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so he starts here, he says, we don't preach ourselves. It has to be all about Jesus. Even as we're meeting physical needs, it still has to be all about Jesus. It doesn't mean that every time that you meet someone's need that you have to tell them, okay, it's because Jesus told me. Okay, you, you need to be discerning. You need to, to find the words. And God is faithful. He will give you the words and the means and the ways to be able to show that this is from him so that our Father in heaven will receive the glory from the good work. We don't have to go out of our way, but we also need to be conscious of it. We need to be aware of it. So he says, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord. And then in verse 6, for it is the God who commanded the light to shine out of the darkness. To shine out of the darkness, to overwhelm, to engulf the darkness so that it is no longer there. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And we talk about having a fear of God, especially as you go through the Old Testament, particularly in Psalms and Proverbs, and you read through about having the fear of the Lord, the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. It's the fear of the Lord. Well, what is that fear? What is, what is that supposed to be? Is it is something that we cower in fear and we, we're, we're waiting for God to just smite us? For God to just strike us down? I don't believe that that's the fear that he's talking about. We talk about the, the reverential awe and respect, uh, a recognition of the power, understanding that that is the kind of power that he possesses, but having a respect and an awe and a thankfulness for the grace and the mercy that he pours out upon us that he doesn't use his power in the ways that, that we deserve. Because none of us should be given the gracious gift of eternal life. We are all just at his mercy. And so we have this fear because we, we see it, we recognize it, we understand the power of God, the tremendous power of God, and that we have been given this light we, we have been given this, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, the awesomeness of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And now as we grow in our relationship with him, we get to see more of that light. We understand more of his character, more of his heart, more of who he is. And it should impact us. But then in verse 7, he says, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, this, this fleshly body, this human body that many times wants to get in the way of the things that God is trying to do. But he says that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us, that we are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. And we sang about these things. We didn't sing about perplexed because it's just a tough word to get into a song. But, but you sang about all these other parts. And we understand to be hard-pressed on every side, to feel like everything is caving in on you. That it, you. I'm sure that I'm not the only one here that's ever felt like everything that could have possibly gone wrong has gone wrong in that moment or that day or that week, whatever it is. I mean, we've been there. We've been hard-pressed on every side. But to, to remember, to be reminded that we're still here. So what does that mean? That means that we were not crushed by it. That means that we were not completely destroyed by it. There are times that we've all been perplexed. There are times even now still as a pastor that I am perplexed. That there are times that, that I just don't understand or I don't know exactly what's going to happen or where to go from here. But there's not a despair. Sometimes there's an anxiety. Sometimes there's a concern. But there's not a despair because there's this reliance upon the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. To see, to recognize very, very clearly in the depth and in the intimacy of our relationship with him that he knows what he's doing, even when we don't. So we can be perplexed but not to despair, that we are persecuted, but not forsaken. There are times, and it seems to be becoming more and more frequent now, that Christians are being attacked, especially in, in media, social media, in the television media, the radio media, in movies, in books, pretty much everything that's out there, we are being persecuted, just, just with words. 
In some places, even in the United States, it's physical, but in many places throughout the world, it's physical. That there is persecution taking place and that people are being struck down even. And yet, even in the midst of this, we have not been forsaken and we are not destroyed because even if we lose this life, we know that there is something beyond this life. And what a great example and a reminder it is for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as they're speaking to the king and the king says, will you bow down? And they say, no, no, king, we will not because our God has the power to deliver us. But know this, that if he chooses not to deliver us, that we will still not bow down to you, and that he's still in control. And that that's the example that we've been given in so many different places, but, but I think that that one so simply and so clearly exemplifies it for us. To recognize, to be reminded of these things. That God is still God, God is still on the throne, that despite whatever things the enemy throws at us, that if you are a child of God here in this place this morning, there is nothing that he can do that God cannot handle. There's nothing he can do that God cannot handle. There is no work of God that is taking place in your life that the enemy can quench. There's no work of God that can be quenched by the enemy. And that is a powerful, powerful reminder for us. And he says it, that we are hard-pressed, that we're perplexed, we're persecuted, we're struck down. And yet in all of these things, we are not crushed. We are not in despair. We are never forsaken. And we are not destroyed. And then he says in verse 10, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. You know, in a different section of Scripture, Paul would talk about to be a partaker of the sufferings. To, to not lose heart, but, but to, in a sense, receive joy from that. To know that you're doing these things because God wants you to be refined through these things. And most of the time, if not every single time, he wants you to be able to shine brightly so that as you are going through this challenging time, as you're going through these difficulties, that the people around you, even the people that you don't know are able to see the light of Jesus shining brightly in your life, even in the midst of the darkest struggles. Because that's when it's most clear to the world. That's when there's the biggest difference, right? I, I, I was sharing last night that, that there are so many things that happen in this life because we live in a fallen world that I don't know how anyone can do more than just survive this life apart from Jesus. There are people that, that make an existence, that, that they, they go through their day-to-day -day lives without Jesus. But I don't think anybody can really, really live a life, uh, live a life with joy and with, with happiness, with true fulfillment without Jesus Christ. It, it's just not possible. You can merely exist. And even at that, it's not a great existence. And yet, you can be a child of God, to be in the family of God, to have what I call a living, breathing, walking relationship with Jesus Christ, and to be just battered and beaten, to be just torn up. And yet, still in the midst of all of that, to be able to have joy and to, to have a fulfilled life. And it comes supernaturally it's something outside of ourselves it's it's not something that any one of us could say it's because of this quality in my life no it's because of Jesus 
It has to be because of Jesus. Because if it's because of some quality that I have, if it's because of my wisdom, if it's because of my might, if it's because of my physical possessions, my riches, then how is that really going to impact the life of someone else for Jesus Christ? The things that we rely upon, we need to, to stop relying upon those so much. And we need to get back to relying upon Jesus. Because I guarantee you that if you step out to be used in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ here on the earth, you are going to face difficult times. That's what he's talking about. He says, always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body, that we are going to be challenged, we are going to be pressed, we are going to be persecuted, we are going to hurt but we are going to be in the hands of God. To be in the hands of God. And, and what better place, what safer place is there in all of creation than in the hands of God? The one who literally created everything. The one who has more power than anyone or anything else combined. We are in the hand of God. And to rest in that, to really, really rest in that, and then in verse 12, he says, So then death is working in us, but life in you. In this section, in verses 11 and 12, what he's talking about here, he's refuting something that was going on in the church early on. This is way, way back. You know, we're talking within 100 years, within 50 years of Jesus having lived on the earth. And already there was a doctrine spreading about through the church because he's writing to the church in Corinth that there was this doctrine spreading around that if you're going through difficulties, then maybe you're not really doing what God is calling you to do. If your, your life reflects all of these challenges, then it, they were basically the same things that they were telling Job is, you know, you're going through this because you've done something wrong. You've offended God or you've stopped doing the things that God has told you to do. And that's why your life has been so difficult. And yet God comes to all of them and he rebukes them all. And then he reminds them of who he is and that he's in complete and total control and that he's allowing these things. And when you get, go back to the very beginning of the book of Job and you see how all of it started, it wasn't because Job was not doing the things that he was supposed to. It was because Job had such a strong relationship with God that Satan said, I bet you I can knock him out of that relationship. And God basically said, go ahead and try. Because he knew Job's heart. He knew the depth and the intimacy of the relationship that Job had with him. And so many times we go through these challenges and these difficulties, not because we're not in the right place, but because we are in the exact right place. Because we are where we are supposed to be doing the things that we are supposed to do and allowing the power of God to work in our hearts, to work through our lives, to impact the world so that we can be the salt and the light as we are called to be. And the enemy knows it and he can't stand it and he wants to stop it. But the glory, it goes to God because he can't stop anything that God wants to do. And so we need to rest in that. We need to be encouraged in that. We need to be challenged in that. Because the, the flip side of that is that, yes, God does bring rest. And there are times and there are seasons that God prepares for us to be recharged, to be rested, to be restored. But there are many times that we just want to sit in that place too long 
and we allow all of these opportunities that God wants to do in us and through us to just pass on by because we enjoyed the safety too much. There's a song that we sing somewhat frequently called Me Higher. And one of the, the verses in there that, that I could just sit, I could just sit, I could just stay here, but you have called me higher. I could just sit and be comfortable, to be relaxed, and, and I'm not going to ask you for a show of hands, but how many of you this morning in your life right now are comfortable? How many of you are just completely comfortable and at rest? That's a great place to be. Don't get stuck there too long. Because it is not the best place to be for you to grow in your relationship with Jesus. I can promise you that. If you really, really want to continue to grow in that relationship, you know that you're going to have to step out and to do things. And you know that as you step out and do things, you are going to be challenged. You are going to be broken. But you're not going to be destroyed. And that everything that the enemy breaks, that God is going to rebuild in a way that is going to give him more glory and more honor. And hopefully is going to bring others into the kingdom of God. And that's a beautiful thing. It's a glorious thing. It's something that we've been called to do. The people who know us, they know our frailties. They know our shortcomings. They are really, really able to see the power of God as it's empowering us. And coming back to this marriage relationship that we talk about that, that relationship, the people that are especially close to you, the people that see you when all of those walls are down, when your guard is not up, those are the people that really can see very, very clearly and evidently what your relationship with Jesus Christ is like. Not because they see you reading your Bible, although that's important. Not because they see you praying, although that's very important too but because they see the character of your life and they see that it is being changed, that it's being transformed, that it's different, that there are attitudes that have changed, that there are thought processes that have changed, that there are motivations and desires that have changed and that there is fruit being produced from our lives. The people closest to us should be able to see that. Not because we're trying to, to show them the good things, but because our lives are gradually reflecting more of Jesus. They're reflecting more of Jesus. And so if we are not able to see that in each other, especially those that are closest to us, we need to be people that would love each other enough to step out and to say, you know what? I don't see anything taking place right now. Are you okay? Is there something that, that's going on? Is there something that we can do to help you get back where you need to be? We need to be those people that can honestly share those things. You know, it's, it's a challenging thing, and, and I would guard you. I would caution you, warn you. Be very, very careful about the people that you trust. Be very, very careful about the people that you trust. Even within the body of Christ, it would be great if as a pastor I could stand up here and say, you know what, any person that you see in the congregation, if they say they're a child of God, whether they're from another congregation, this congregation, if they say they're a child of God, they've given their lives over to Jesus, then you can trust them implicitly. But we know that's not true. We know that's not true. So be very, very careful about the people that you do allow into that, that inner circle, if you will, of accountability, but find people to be in that group. Find people that you can trust that can call you out 
when necessary, that can tell you when there is something that is not right, when they recognize it, when they see it, and that you can have the same done to you. To be that, that Nathan, if you will, as Nathan was in the life of David, that, that God would speak to Nathan, and, and Nathan came and he, he gives him this story, and, and David says, well, that, that's a sinner. He's terrible. Kill him. And then Nathan says, you are that man. You know, find those people, because those are the people that are going to help you so much more in living a fulfilled life than all of the other fair-weather friends, than all the people that just tell you, oh, yeah, well, everything you did was great. You know, one of, the, one of the things, one of the people that, for those of you that are married here, one of the people that has to be in that circle is your spouse, okay? I, that, that, ha, that should go without saying, but I know sometimes it doesn't. But I've been blessed. You know, even last night as we were driving home, I, I was talking to my wife. and said, how did it go? You know, she was in the, the service last night. I said, you know, how, how did it go? What are some of the things that, that, that didn't make sense? What are some of the things that, that I, I could have done differently or could have done better? And, and I'll, I'll be honest, the first few times that I used to ask her, you know, how was, how was worship today or how was the, the service when I taught or how was the Bible study, that she had some very, very good but very, very sharp remarks, and I did not respond well. I did not take those things very well. I said, who are you, woman? But, you know, I just... <laughs> I did not respond well, but it has been such a blessing to be able to, to share that openness with her and to be able to, to ask honestly and openly and know that it's not always going to be, oh, it was great, I love you, you know, that it's going to be sometimes, you know, you really should have studied more or whatever, you know, that, that to be honest and to be open. And it's not just about the ministry. It's not just about the works. It's about your whole life. To be able to have those people that you can not rely upon for this because you need to have a relationship with Jesus that Jesus is telling you these things because he guarantee, I guarantee you he wants to let us know the things that are not right. But there are times when we start to, to try to get away from that voice and God, God is faithful to use those people to bring to your remembrance the things that you already know need to be changed. Okay? And so that leads us to this last passage here, and, and we'll close here. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 7. He says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so he says, Therefore I remind you, to, to be reminded, to, to know something already, but to have it brought back to our recollection. I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The gift of God has been given to each one of us if we are tr truly children of God. There are so many things that God has gifted us with. Not just for our benefit, but for the benefit of those around us. He has gifted us immensely. And so he says, I remind you to stir up that gift. Not to get complacent. Not to get stuck in that place of rest and, and peace. And, and that everything in life is good and as it should be. But to know that that, that was a, a time for you to rest, to recharge. And now that there's work to be done. And that Jesus is going to let you know what he wants you to do. And then he's going to prepare you for it. And he's going to give you everything necessary for it. You know, Paul writes, the good works that have been prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. 
God's already prepared all of it. We just have to be willing to get up and to listen and to move. And so he says, stir up the gift of God, for God has not given us a spirit of fear. Don't be afraid about the trials, the struggles, the tribulation, about being persecuted, about being perplexed, not knowing, about being hard-pressed on every side. Don't worry about those to the point of fear because you need to be reminded that God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's given us his Holy Spirit and he's given us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, and a spirit of a sound mind. He's already blessed us with everything necessary to do everything that he's calling us to do. God is never going to ask you to step out and to do something that he is not fully prepared to empower you to accomplish. And that leads us to, to where we end this morning, which is, what are we doing? What are we doing that makes our lives worth living? What are we doing? What is the, the exemplification of this in our lives? Are we involved in the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ here on the earth? Or are we just sliding in? Are we just bandwagon jumpers? We need to be people that want to do the work of the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, not so that others can see, but because we have this relationship with Jesus and we want others to have a relationship with Jesus too. And once they have that relationship, once we, we get them here and they're a part of this body of Christ, then we want to, again, use this relationship that we have with Jesus to sharpen the relationships of those around us. There are countless ministry opportunities just here in this fellowship, here in this body. You know, if some of you are here today and you say, well, there's just nothing for me to do, I guarantee you that that is not true. If you don't know what to do, but you feel that God is pressing on your heart to do something, come talk to one of the elders or one of the pastors, and we will help you find something. It might be trial and error. We might try everything that we know of before we find the one, but it's even better if you talk to God and you let God speak to you and tell you, this is what I have for you. This is what I've gifted you. This is the need. Just because you don't see it on a bulletin board, just because you don't see it in a bulletin, just because you don't see it on the screen, doesn't mean it's not here or that it's not needed. When we get to the point of having to put stuff up here, it's because we are in desperate, dire need. Okay? So if there are things that God is putting on your heart to do, come talk to us. We want to, to be active in this body, but we also want to be active in this city because we want to reach others for Jesus Christ. Amen? We want to be the light. We want to be the salt. And we know that we've been empowered to do that. And that should be an exciting thing. It should be a motivating thing. But it should also be a challenging thing. Amen?